Welcome to Grace 360, a vibrant discussion on issues of diversity that we hope is engaging, biblical, and slightly entertaining. The goal of these podcasts is to create a healthy, honest, and helpful discussion for Christian educators, parents, and students from a biblical perspective on current cultural issues relating to diversity. Diversity, for our purposes, is related to the acrostic grace, gender, race, age, ability, culture, and economic status. While we don't have all the answers, we hope our discussion is thought-provoking and helpful. Welcome to Grace 360. All right, well, welcome back to the conversation. Today, we thought we would dive into curriculum. And I want to start with an NBC News article that the first line says, a fifth grade teacher accused of holding a mock slave auction last week in which white students at a private school in Bronxville, New York, were urged to bid on their black classmates has been placed on indefinite leave. Some might think this news article was from many, many years ago, but actually it came out March 11th of 2019. So let's dive into curriculum. Hmm. So the immediate question that we have to ask is, because this includes what's happened in this article, is how do we deal with reenactments? Is it ever okay to reenact history? Does it help the students to be able to sympathize with the people there? Cindy, I believe that you have some some answers towards this you want to kind of share. Well, Let's just assume the best intentions. Right. That's just a smart way of going. We're going to assume that the teacher had good intentions, but in the area of pedagogy these days, in the history classroom in particular, simulations and reenactments are not the way to go, in particular when you're dealing with traumatic events, events such as the Holocaust, slavery, slave auctions, the transportation of slaves in the Middle Passage or anywhere on the triangular trade route. It is seen as a false experience. And I would assume that every single person that's in a classroom, regardless of the subject, wants their students to feel welcome. We want our classrooms to be safe. So in the area of history, particularly because it's what I deal with, if I do a reenactment, such as the one that was cited in this article, what does that make my students feel like? Now, again, assuming the best of intentions, the teacher wanted the kids to be able to emotionally attach to what they were talking about. What would this have felt like? And if you are um, a very sensory person, that makes total sense that you would want to do something like that. But what does that make your students who are African-American feel like sitting in your classroom? Now, in this particular scenario, if I understood the article correctly, um, and it's been a few days since I've read it, the teacher was auctioning off the African-American students. All right, so let's reverse that. Let's say that the teacher had the idea, instead of reversing it, we're going to auction off the white students. All right, but you still can't take away the historical reality that the African-American students in that classroom are the descendants of men and women who were viewed as property and were sold as property. It's there. You cannot do anything about it. Is that making your classroom safe? Is it making them feel welcome? I think those events in and of themselves carry that burden without the need of of, of being reenacted. I think about last year I went through like in the extensive like lineage search and just trying to like put together my family tree. And I was talking to my oldest uncle who actually was able to have conversations with my great grandmother who was uh, ex-slave. And I remember asking him like, you know, did she ever tell you about 
you know, her experiences, like, you know, what, like, what was that like? And I remember having this like excitement of kind of like excitement and kind of uh, fear of like, you know, what was that even like? And he just said, you know, she never talked about it. And she, you know, if it was ever brought up, she like referred to them as, you know, the dark days. And she's like, I don't, I don't go back to the dark days. And it was something about just hearing that, that I, it taught me all that I needed to know without having detailed explanation of what was happening. Um, so can I, if I can play devil's advocate, often in diversity work, we say the intent doesn't always equal the impact, mm-hmm. right? So if I go back to the intent of teachers, I'm thinking that they're probably trying to say, how can I get the kids to understand better what this might have felt like, what this might be? How can I get them to remember and retain this information? So I'm assuming that that's probably an intent in regards to reenactment. But what you're saying is, is that the reenactment itself actually might do more damage. It does. Um, There are some people, um, there's one, I think her name was Karen Sacretney. I'd have to go back and find her name. She said that kids don't have the concept of time and history, so they feel that it can happen to them. We've heard examples of students studying about the Birmingham bombings and going home fearful or going to church fearful because they think it can happen to them. Many people also believe that it, it actually diminishes from the actual historical event. It's kind of like when you try to compare the Holocaust to some other event in history. In truth, you're, you're usually comparing apples to oranges, which is one of the things that, that some Holocaust survivors who are very protective of the story, and rightfully so, they argue when people try to equate, well, this is the same as what the Nazis were doing. Okay, well, let's take a look at what the Nazis were actually doing, and let's take a look at this other situation that you believe is a fair comparison, and most likely it's not. So it actually diminishes from what actually did occur. You can't actually plug in to the emotion of the event sort of deal. Um, And as I said earlier, kids have a hard time separating. What I have found effective is look at the universal themes. All right. You're the parent. What do you want for your kid? As a parent, you're willing to sacrifice everything for your child. Okay, we've got these universals established. Okay, now let's look at this primary document. Let's dissect it. And you parse through it and you ask the tough questions, the ones that the kids are thinking, but they won't utter because they don't think that it's okay to ask those questions. So as far as reenactment, you know, and it was a big thing back in the day, and I don't want to name the program that was very big with doing reenactments and simulations. It's just proven that it's not the way to go. The lady that did the experiment in the late 60s, early 70s with the students where she, she separated her classroom with the dark-eyed students and the light-eyed students, the blue-eyed students, she argues, and she did a TED Talk on it. It's available on YouTube. She says, I wouldn't do it again. Long term, I look back on it, and what I wanted was not what actually happened, and I think it was more hurtful than it was helpful. If I remember her words carefully, I don't want to put words in her mouth. I'd have to go back and and watch the, the, the TED Talk again. But I do remember her saying very clearly, I would not do it again. It's just not the way of to do things. There are other ways that you can teach these difficult areas in history without doing a simulation. You can't simulate the actual event. Um, when we were at, a, at an event recently at that particular exhibit that dealt with African-American history, and the first thing we walked through was the slave ship. And on our, uh, the first things that came to my mind when I'm walking through it, it's too clean. 
it smells clean. Mm-hmm. The hold of a slave ship did not smell clean. There was space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was no space. When they, when they did the Amazing Grace movie of, you know, William Wilberforce, mm-hmm. right? He's standing on a slave ship and as as the ship goes by, everybody held their nose and it stunk and you're, you're you know, a fair distance from it. So when you, when you mention that as we walk through what is supposed to be a slave ship to give you at least a space aspect, right? A spatial concept of what it means, right? To take this, you know, middle passage, just a long voyage filled with, you know, Africans uh, on a slave ship, right? When, when Cindy said, well, it's too clean. You're like, yeah, it, <laughs> I mean, could, people are dying in here, right? This thing would reek. It'd be awful. It'd be, you know, terrible. And so even, even that, I think one of the things we need to, to ask and answer though, from a curriculum standpoint is curriculum means different things to different ages as well, exactly. right? And so how do, how do we teach um, these important concepts, right, to our little kids, to our middle school kids, to our upper school kids. And and I think we probably have more liberty as they get older to do things to kind of have them wrestle with things that we would when they were younger. But as you've said, right, the, the whole enactment concept or dressing up as, you know, different things. I think it's one of the things that as educators, we need to really think through these things and maybe get some people to to look at something that we've always done. Well, we've always done it this way. Well, maybe we don't need to do it exactly the same way the next year. And that's right. an important aspect for us to begin to ask and answer. Uh, and even if even if we're not looking at being more diverse, right? <laughs> I think we need to ask and answer that question anyway. Anyway. Exactly. But I also think it's important because um, I know that throughout education, you know, the history of education, um, we've been accused of whitewashing history. We've been accused right. of various aspects of history, of taking on history. So I want to encourage people that that at least we're on the path, that we don't always have all the answers, but as we go down this path to please come into the dialogue, enter in the dialogue, think through how it does impact your students, but be encouraged in the fact that you are on the path. So um, I, I do think that that's an important point to have. So then how do we teach history curriculum? How do we teach the curriculum of the history of our country? Well, a lot of, uh, Marcus, since you also teach world history, it's, it, it's pretty natural in world history if you're actually teaching world history. Exactly. Now, if we're teaching um, Western Civ. It becomes a little bit more difficult. Um, to answer both, both of y'all questions, I want to kind of go back to something Dan brought up of just the age Relevance, and I think something that kind of is a universal from um, from the littles all the way up to to seniors is the importance of representation. And so when I am when I am teaching, obviously I want to make sure that I'm communicating the history correctly and that I'm um, doing justice to to what actually happened. And part of that is also taken into account how am I representing the characters and who are who are constantly the heroes of the stories that I tell. And so if by the end of my if I was to take, you know, my two semesters of material that I have for world history and go through and circle like, you know, who are all of the quote unquote good guys um, in this story? Who did something notable? Who's intelligent? Who created who? And if all of them look a certain way, that makes it very hard for my African-Americans, my Latinos, my Asian, to feel like they see themselves in any of those areas. Right. And that's what's important. But I think it also damages the white students. It does. You know, I talked to a friend. I'm like, when you think about native Australian, what comes to mind? And he's like, you know, you know, just white curly hair, you know, you know, surfing. Like he, you know, gives this, is this very Great like, cliche. And I was just <laughs> like, the indigenous people of Australia were not white. 
And so you you create like you create pictures in these realities that actually take away from true experiences of the places, of the individuals, of the cultures. And it it kind of like you say, like it kind of it, it whitewashes it or it, it shallows out the diversity that's naturally inherent in the world. Yeah, it actually makes my curriculum richer. Um, it gives a more true picture of it. You know, I do we want a kindergartner going through a unit on the Cowboys and we have a young man in that class who happens to be African-American. Does he know that there was a very famous black cowboy or does he think that every cowboy was white? Right. And at the same time, I think we also have to understand that it's OK to still let some white men. Absolutely. Be spectacular human beings, even Absolutely. though we're not going to say they're perfect. So. You know, I, I think that's a big thing right now in our culture, right, is, you know, well, I mean, here's a white guy who's a founder, right, one of the founding fathers of America, but he owns slaves, so he's a terrible person. And you're like, okay, I mean, you know, so that, you know, to point out positives and negatives, right, equally as we go across, right, and, and what, what one of the things we're saying is um, if you want to do a better job to be more diverse, you need to bring in some people from different diverse backgrounds and show the positives, because that's one of the things that we haven't done in the past. Um, but it doesn't mean that you need to destroy the image of all the people that are out there that already have monuments to them Absolutely. and things named after them. It's like, well, you know, we need to take down Washington and Jefferson and Adams just to make sure that everybody else feels equal. And I think that we have to be very careful of but that. But I think we've done that in history also with racial minorities also. I mean, mm -hmm. you take MLK, and we've tried to destroy his image based on certain things. And so... I think we have to be careful no matter who the person is. And that's why we need to be sure that we that we are training our students to be critical thinkers and to never park their brain at the door, whether it's walking into the movie theater, whether it's pulling a book off the bookshelf at the library or the Barnes and Nobles or whatever bookstore of their choosing, that they think critically and that they'd use multiple sources. There's a reason why we make our students use, and we use multiple sources when we're doing our research. You know, I have to read Howard Zinn. I also have to read Schweikert. I have to do both. I have to listen to podcasts that come from one perspective and to the other because we don't want to do that wide swing of the pendulum. The pendulum to one extreme or the other is of no use to either one of us or to any of us. You know, So it, it means that as a teacher, and to Marcus, you and I, we do our homework. Exactly. Um, and every teacher that's out there is willing to do their homework. It means that I'm going to have to take things out of my curriculum and put in new things. And I get to be the eternal student, which is what if I didn't have to earn a living – and, and I don't begrudge having to earn a living, um, but if I didn't have to work, that's what I would do. I would sit and read and listen to music and do a few other things that I enjoy doing passionately. And I would just be an eternal student until the day the Lord called me home. Yeah. It gives me the opportunity to do that. And we have to stay in that. We have to stay in that phase. Um, and I think I think one of the things we have as an advantage being Christian educators is, you know, the, the Bible, I think, is one of the greatest teachers in this this whole idea. I mean, one of the things that it teaches us is there's only one hero of the story. <laughs> All it's of the you. biblical characters. <laughs> yes, yes. Not you're me. not it. The you're be David flawed, Solomon flawed. You know, all of them. You know, they they were great in their in their own right. But we've learned how to read these stories and celebrate their successes. Learn from their failures. We see. You know, heroes and uh, we see victories from those who are in the, you know, quote unquote, typical narrative as you think about, you know, Joseph the dreamer. And we think about Moses. But then we see God bring characters from the outside who end up, you know, being champions. You mm -hmm. Like you say, uh, when you brought up Ruth, when we think about Rahab, Rahab when Esther. we think about Esther. Yeah, yeah. All of these people that he weaves in. Nineveh. 
this was a horrid place. Yeah. But they turn and they submit themselves to the Lord. Like, and so you, you get to see these complex characters all throughout the scriptures and history works the same way. Absolutely. It's not just this side did this, this side did that. No, the, the characters are complex. They had some victories. They had some flaws. This side had some victories. They had some flaws. We take all of it and we learn from it and we figure out, you know, what are some things that we can perpetuate and what are the things that we need to, you know, subdue. And that provides inspiration for our students. Exactly. That not one of the people that they are looking to in history was perfect. They messed up. They, they face planted mm. as well. And so, yet. So how do we help this teacher? So that's that's one of my questions too. So, is, so I was saying, hey, let's not do any reenactments. Do we take reenactments and do we run them by a diverse group of people and say, here's what I'm thinking of. How do I do it better? What do, what do we do practically as teachers in the classroom, right, to help teach our students from a better perspective? Well, I, I think it's also how do teachers set up the curriculum they're about to teach. So how do they go in? I, I know at our our institution, we believe in the partnership with the parents. So how are we telling our parents what we're about to teach how are we training them on what we're about to teach and then how do we go into the classroom and teach it so yeah I so think answer that in, you know two minutes hurry up go sunday we came up with a letter that gets sent home to the parents explains the unit so and it's it's sent ahead of time so the parents can start prepping we very much are committed to the fact of kingdom education and as such parents are one of the legs of the three-legged stool we don't want to take parents out of this. That also means that we're going to get a diversity of opinion based on these topics. So diversity of opinion means we may not please everybody. God but, forbid, but yes, this is true. But at least we can take different people's opinions into in, in, into account. Yes. I think that's important. And I think one of the things that we did with the parent letter is we provided resources as yes. well. And how we knew to send out the parent letter was by having the conversation with our parents. How do you want to be informed of what is being taught in your classroom? And so at one point we were sending the letter a few weeks before the unit was taught. Now we send the letter the summer before the unit is taught because we've learned that some of our parents want to spend the summer with their students going through this history. Right. So as we introduce, we're talking specifically, we introduce the issue of slavery in fifth grade. Just understand, I have all my kids went through fifth grade, right? And I never thought about the idea that slavery was going to be introduced to my students, right, at this particular time, because of course, right, I come from a majority race. I'm white. My kids are white. And so to have the issue of slavery introduced to them, right, I never even thought about, right? And so for some of the parents, as you as you put this work in and as you begin to, you know, you know, oh, we're going to send out this letter to parents, a lot of your parents may receive the letter and go, who cares? What are, we, what are we talking about? Right. But I still think it's important to do. Absolutely. Well, and I think that the letter, what we've learned also is that of certain demographics in our group, is just say the white parents are like, okay, well, how do I educate my students exactly. on this? So we've learned to incorporate resources into our letter. If you want to speak to your students about this topic, here are some great places to find resources. So, yeah. yeah. And we have to take students, individual students, into account as well. Different students have different levels of sensitivity. Uh, some of our students feel a little bit more than others. Um, so, therefore, it needs to be introduced a little more slowly. Also, we've been very careful to make sure that we don't introduce the first mention of African Americans is not an enslaved people. Number one, Africa is a massive continent. It is not one nation, has a plethora of cultures, a plethora of languages and accomplishments. We don't want the first taste to be a negative one of a people who were enslaved. 
Sydney, you use the term enslaved rather than slaves. Why? Over the course of the years, and I could be very wrong because I am by no means an expert. I'm still learning and I still mess up and myself. I feel that the word slave gives the person an identity and that identity is slave. I would never detract from the fact that some people felt that it was okay to own another human being. But I would never want that person to go into eternity with the identity of slave. You were a human being who was enslaved for racial and economic reasons. I asked you that question because you sent that in our text thread the other day. And um, it it never dawned on me that that word had had that effect on my psyche of thinking about where I come from. And uh, the quote that I found online the other day that said, slavery is not the history of, of Africa. It, it impeded the history, right? That there's so much more going on outside of that time in, in history. And I think about now just the, the research that I've committed to doing uh, myself as an adult, as an educator, that it has opened my eyes to so much. I mean, I, I've been loving reading James Baldwin right now. Like I'm trying to find just like everything that he's written because one, he was in, aside from being a black man, he was an impeccable writer, like incredible writer. And as a black man who also enjoys writing, like that was encouraging to be able to look to him like, oh, like he can do that. Um, that, that I come from a people who can do that. I come from a people who is also educated. I come from a people who has had the ability to do X, Y, and Z. Um, and you know, I, I've shared this story before with, uh, my, my nephew who, you know, young, young kid, uh, about, he was about 10 or 11 at the time. And we're driving, uh, going to Walmart and asking, you know, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up or what are your, you know, what are your aspirations? And his answer was, you know, he wanted to work at a plant because, you know, that's where he knew some people that worked and they, you know, had a decent amount of money. So I want to I want to be a plant worker. And to me, that immediately said, like, what in the representation that has been put before him hasn't shown him that he could aspire to be something higher than that, that he's been going to school all this time, that he's been, you know, exposed to all these that he's never had the the picture of I can be something greater um and that that is why um, when we talk about representation we talk about how um people not just african-american how how women are handled um in the classroom I know um I think about my classroom last year I had an african-american male um and then it was a split of uh white males and white girls and I tried to make sure that Every person in the story wasn't a, a guy, but that I made sure that I highlighted, hey, this, these were the contributions that women have brought throughout this story because they need to be able to see themselves actively and not always do the work of trying to put themselves in the story. Right. And it's important. I mean, you know, well, that was what, what W.B. Du Bois was arguing when he wrote The Talented Tenth. Right. And when he wrote the letter to the young schoolgirl that wanted to drop out of school. And her teacher wrote W.B. Du Bois and said, I have this absolutely brilliant young woman who is going to drop out of school because she doesn't think society will let her use her talents. So he took the time to put pen to paper and he wrote her a letter encouraging her to stay in school. And this is why. 
that letter was written to a young woman. But how I don't know if I have a young man sitting in that classroom whose dad that morning on the way into school told him he wasn't good for anything. And he was a mistake. And he wished he had never been born. Now, that letter was written to a young woman. But the theme of that letter could resonate in the heart of that young man sitting in my classroom that although I said good morning to him, the tears of a clown, he didn't let me know in any way, shape or form that that's what he faced that morning on the way into school. And that's what I mean by it enriches my curriculum. He might not be able to associate with that young woman as far as gender, but he can probably associate with her and pull inspiration from another human being who's getting kicked in the teeth. The fact that African history is rich. And for so many years in the United States, the first mention of them were people that were enslaved. And yet it was Africans that built the pyramids. It was Africans that were already hypothesizing that malaria was caused by mosquitoes. So let's drain out the swamps. While in Europe, they thought it was due to bad odors. Our students can pull inspiration from a plethora of sources. But it does mean that I've got to do my homework and that you've got to do your homework, that all of us have to do our homework. Exactly. So, And that I mess up and then I say sorry. So, so Jenny's telling us that there's so much <laughs> dealing with curriculum since this is what you guys deal with, right, as educators. Um, I just watch you and, and appreciate it so much and that we probably need to do another one of this and, and right, tackle even more things that, that come up. Um, because honestly, you know, what Tamarca said earlier, um, the different ages, right, as we're talking to, you know, first graders versus 10th graders, right, there's so many different things that, that people need to take into consideration. I think the biggest takeaway for me is um, you have to look at what you're teaching, why you're teaching it, how you're teaching it. Um, and just because you've done it the same way last year or for the last 30 years, doesn't mean that you, you shouldn't look at that and say, you know what, how do other people receive this? How can I give this information in a way that it's going to be received from different people from a diverse background better than the way it is right now? And I think that's really important for us to, to do. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to do that. Um, maybe you need somebody with, with a different perspective coming in and looking at your things and, and allowing the humility to say, hey, please examine what I do. Um, and that was so neat, right? Our, our fifth grade history teacher sent the letter out to a group of us and said, please help me write this letter. And the humility to do that, to allow other people to speak into what you do is a really, really important thing. So I'm so glad that we have a teacher that's willing to do that and, and to take our comments and recommendations and to actually consider them, right? And not take that as a, well, you know, you're not going to tell me how to do my job, right? It was, hey, we're, we're doing this as a community and we can do it better as a community. And that was really, really important for us. So I guess we'll, uh, we'll dive into some more curriculum in another episode and we'll wrap this one up now. Thank you for listening to Grace 360. As always, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes and are not intended to be divisive or inflammatory in nature. We hope you listened and learned as much as we have in the process of producing the show and pray you'll join us for our next episode. You can find us on social media. We would love to have you as part of our discussion with your thoughts and questions. Once again, thank you for listening to Grace 360.